This episode of Lightning Strikes Thrice is brought to you by our incredible patrons, patrons like Jason Straub and Admiria Curtis. If you want to help us keep making the show like they do, you can visit pitchdrop.cash and contribute as little as a buck a month. We really appreciate it. You are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a JRPG Games Club podcast that will sell you supplements for your low D. Hell this yeah. Is ep- <laughs> this is episode <laughs> one of our season covering Capcom's Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter for the PlayStation 2. My name is Ryan Beatty, my pronouns are they, them, and with me is... Matt Marcus, he, him. And Chris Taylor, also he, him. Uh, so... Extremely brief overview of the Breath of Fire series history uh, before it Dragon Quarter. It's, it's 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 normal. It's the most normal it's shit. Extremely in the world. normal. That's the deal. And not like the it online is. way we say normal. No, no. More, this is more normal than Lufia somehow. Yeah. <laughs> so this is like the urge JRPG. It re- it really is, and I was shocked when I found out who like worked on the first one. All right, so Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter was developed by Capcom Production Studio Three and released in November two thousand two in Japan, February two thousand three in North America, and November two thousand three in Europe, with a bunch of extremely dumb design decision or one extremely dumb design decision uh, tacked on. Uh, it was not called Breath of Fire Five in the U.S. or Europe. It was only called Breath of Fire Five Dragon Quarter in Japan, uh, but it was the fifth entry in the franchise. The first one was released in 1993 in Japan and 94 in the U.S. It was Capcom's first, like, major attempt at making a traditional RPG. Sweet Home and Willow came before it, but both of those are, like, weird and probably shouldn't be called trad uh, in the same way. Yeah, imagine making Sweet Home and then making fucking Breath of Fire immediately after Jesus Christ. It's wild. It's wild. It's it's just so all right. Yeah, and this is why it's weird that it's so normal. All right, because Sweet Home uh, worth playing now today. Uh, I think it fucking rocks. Uh, I have no idea what your patience with NES style like unfair bullshit is. It has some of that in it. The answer for you, Matt, is no. Yeah. The answer for Ryan is yes, and the answer for me is yes, but not for the same reason as Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I could put up with some old bullshit here or there. Like, I'm still making my way through uh, the Final Fantasy Legends games on Game Boy. But I don't think yeah. you can put up with this level of bullshit. It's a different kind of bullshit. It has, like, like, maniac old. Yeah, it has some, like, Maniac Mansion-style adventure game puzzles where if uh, one of your characters dies you can't move forward because you need that character to do stuff yeah so just don't let no one die that's that's the solution speaking of old bullshit matt you should not try to play wizardry one through three you personally Mm -hmm. i wasn't planning on it so i'm doing it but you shouldn't (laughs) good i won't so uh 
some Capcom heavy hitters worked on the Breath of Fire project, including Yoshinori Kawano, who went on to be a lead on the Mega Man Legends, Battle Network, and Zero series. Uh, Mega Man Classics, Kenji Inafune, who did the first pass at character and creature design before Tatsuya Yoshikawa took over. And Ghosts and Goblins' Tokoro Fujiwara wanted to make a, a JRPG, or an RPG. Uh, and mm-hmm. despite these big names, this game was so bog standard. And the big selling points, honestly, were like huge sprites, decent mm-hmm. music, and being able to see the enemy health bars. However, it was a pretty huge success in Japan, and Capcom decided to bring it overseas uh, the next year. Capcom's localization department had never tried to translate such a text-heavy game and partnered with Squaresoft to bring it to the uh-huh. U.S., Ted Woolsey, our guy, uh, worked on the translation, but Squaresoft was not given that much time or funding to handle the localization, and so it was a very uh, it, it's a extremely rough translation. There are fan patches out there. Ted always seems to have an excuse somehow. I know <laughs> he's done some good translation projects, but he has as many projects where he was like, "Well, I just didn't have that much time." And like, I don't not believe him, but yeah, his resume has has some dark marks on it. Very, very funny to me though, because. All they did was the translation and the publishing, and the translation is bad. Uh, The game was marketed directly on the box in the U.S. as from the creators of Final Fantasy. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was also, it was successful enough, though, to get three sequels. uh, One in 1994 for the SNES, and then two for the PlayStation in 1997 and 2000. First sequel is an improvement on the first in every way. It was a Big hit in the U.S. PlayStation sequels are beloved by a much smaller community. Uh, it's like a lot of there. There's a group of Breath of Fire fans for whom three and four are like the only real Breath of Fires, and mm-hmm. they're beloved for their like big casts, the Xenogears style, like well done sprites on polygonal backgrounds, and morally gray and melancholy stories. Capcom also ported the first two games to the Game Boy Advance in 2001. These ports featured uh, redrawn character portraits, new, like, still art cutscenes, a soft save system for when you had to put the Game Boy Advance to sleep, and most importantly, a run button, which the first two games just did not have. Just did not have. Go fuck yourself, Capcom. They are so slow in their original form. It's also worth noting that the two big, like, translation and restoration fan patches also add that run button to the Super Nintendo versions. Mm. Extremely briefly, it is worth mentioning Capcom was like, all right, we're not giving that shit to Square again, and tried to localize uh, Breath of Fire 2 in-house, but in some ways, the Breath of Fire 2 translation is just as rough as the first. Uh, Two PlayStation sequels, they're fine. Translation-wise, they're fine. Have either of you uh, played any other Breath of Fire games? As a man of infinite patience, I could not make it more than an hour and a half into the first one on the Switch. <laughs> I'm like, not even for 30 minutes before I fall asleep. <laughs> I would rather do nothing. <laughs> yeah, but my entire experience with the Breath of Fire series is reading about three and four on the Toasty Frog. <laughs> blog that Jeremy Paris ran. (laughs) Uh, And so I I bought three and four on virtual console on PS3 years and years ago, and it's been uh, sitting on my backlog of shame uh, since then. 
and they sound like they do interesting things with the stories. And uh, I've heard that, yeah, the uh, the frog guy who is sitting there fishing is uh, just really beautifully drawn. And that's yeah, all, <laughs> that's all I know. Yeah, no, I I will also admit here to folks that I have also not played three and four myself. I've played mm. one and two because I was just a Super Nintendo RPG sicko uh, mm-hmm. when I was younger. But the fact that Breath of Fire three is 60 hours long on how long to beat is unfortunately Yeesh. a very big, uh, like, discouraging factor for me just kind of picking it up casually. Uh-huh. Even even with as much planning time as we had, I would not have had enough time to play all four Breath of Fire games in order before five. Yep. And I'm extremely glad that we didn't. I yeah. didn't. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, I would add that, like, the reason why this, this game has also been on my hit list for a long time, also because of the, you know, the Retronauts-verse uh, mm-hmm. discussions around it and its reputation as like mechanically very interesting, but one of those sequels that everyone rejected because it wasn't what they expected or wanted out of the series at the time. And I'm like, yeah, that that, that triggers my like wannabe sicko phase where, you know, where like I, I need to like know if this is actually good and I'm probably going to come away and be like, this is good, actually. Uh, and everyone else is wrong. Like, it's like a really, really early Larian game is what this is mostly like. Yeah. Uh-huh. I could yeah. It, it it is it has a very like this is a this is a modern RPG but done 20 years too early feeling. And yeah, I do feel like places like the Retronauts community and a couple of other it's like the something yeah. awful forums were the ones who kind of like were whispering about it and being like, hey, this is mechanically really interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, and in a lot of ways it it dovetails nicely with lightning returns. Right. Like absolutely. There's a yeah. lot of DNA that's that's similar. And a lot of the discussion around it is similar, which is, you know, it's mechanically interesting, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. but also has its flaws. Uh huh. I realized uh-huh. yesterday that I've played this game before. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like all the way through like, or just uh... I don't know. I do not remember anything about it, but I'm like, oh, yeah, you do turn into the guy from Azura's Wrath. I remember this now. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. I don't wait. Did I? Yeah. All right. I didn't actually put this in the legacy section of the notes, but uh, funnily enough, some of the team that did Dragon Quarter went on to do Dead Rising, and there are also mm, some yeah. definite like DNA yeah. similarities between this and yeah. Dead Rising, and so that makes sense to me. That also makes perfect sense. Uh, <laughs> just imagine, like, I'm surprised there isn't like a Dead Rising, like tons of uh, like Breath of Fire Easter eggs in it. Ah, uh, yeah, it would. That'd that be would. Cool. Mm-hmm. That would be the only yeah. way to make Dead Rising less appealing to your average player. <laughs> <laughs> I think that game's really fucking good. But yeah, boy, no. I'm amazed that game has gotten three sequels. Oh, me too. Me too. It doesn't make any sense, but I I like it a lot. Uh, someone want to tell me a little bit about the dev history here? Yeah, uh, sure. Sh- um, yeah, go ahead. Shut up, mate losing uh <laughs> jesus christ it returns <laughs> coming out strong coming out strong welcome back to <laughs> welcome back thrice. motherfucker <laughs> we got the whole season of vitriol saved up for you buddy <laughs> uh, uh, <sighs> though it signals a significant departure from previous games of the series a lot of key figures from breath of fire 3 and 4 were on the development team for dragon quarter including series writer and planner makoto ikihara and character designer, character designer Tatsuya Yoshikawa, 
Makoto was inspired to radically depart from the fam- from the familiar series trappings for something much darker after he read the 1994 parallel universe novel The World 5 Minutes From Now. So I looked for an English like fan translation or official localization of this novel. It does not exist. I'm very curious about it because like I just like a guy reading a book and being like, all right, the first three stories that I made, they're too kitty. I want to make something dark. Uh, I just I, I want to read it. It got a PS2 visual novel uh, adaptation with really bad CG cutscenes. And there's also a manga and anime of yeah. the same name, The World Five Minutes From Now, but I, I could not find any information on if it's related to the novel or not. Like, none. I, I would imagine that if it's, like, the exact same name, that it's an adaptation. Now, the question is, is it a good adaptation, which is a whole other story. But yeah, I'm seeing there were seven volumes, at least seven, seven volumes of a manga. Uh, so that's... That's interesting, you know, and hey, maybe uh, in like a year when I can actually read Japanese, I might go check this out. Word up. Mm hmm. Yeah. Spoilers. At the time that I wasn't on the podcast, I started learning Japanese. So yeah. sick. I loved. Sorry, I was biting. I was biting my tongue at the optimism of a year from now. I'll read a novel. <laughs> oh, oh, no, that is that is pretty. Yeah. I mean, I've only been doing it for two months, so it, I'm a long ways away from being able like I have. Like, spoilers, I have a light novel next to me right now. This is uh, mm. the first volume of uh, Maria Watches Over Us. Uh, and I will try to read it someday. It's just, it's very fucking hard. After four years of Chinese, I am now third, officially third grade literate. So good luck, <laughs> friend. Hey, man, I did, dude, Japanese is harder than Mandarin in my experience. Look, Ugh. all I'm saying, doing better than Chinese children. Four years to be third grade literate, do better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so but, Chris turns yeah. Chris turns into a lean-in bully but just towards children. That's right. <laughs> Have you tried doing the long division? I don't know. Uh, Chris, this is Chris, what becoming Chris a parent a does to you. Chris is an elementary school teacher and just like every single question gets re- gets answered by skill issue. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Look, I am in my I don't know, can you phase? <laughs> Uh, he <laughs> also felt like there. <laughs> Ikahara also felt like previous Breath of Fire games were too easy. Boy, you can really feel that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with his promotion from writer to director, he decided to make a challenging game with a more demanding combat system. Reportedly, as development continued, they kept making the game harder and harder, which is so funny to me because you could definitely tell that the retry loop came last. Uh huh. Absolutely. Mm. Dragon Corner had a very tight development schedule, and so a few planned features had to be cut prior to release, including an online mode and rested piece pouring one out for the fishing minigame. Mm-hmm. That's fine. We'll get there'll be one in Silk Song. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> there was also some. Int- <laughs> you also you, you, you some see, int- listeners of the future, that's funny because. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's also some material cut for being a little too edgy for an evil T-rated game. An evil doctor was initially designed to resemble Adolf Hitler, which is cool. But there was an alien resurrection bodies in vet scene that was axed. So they were trying to do Persona to it. So yeah, a little bit, and then and then yeah. they're like, shit, no, we we're uh, most of our audience is under the age of eighteen. We can't do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, they don't know history. 
18 year olds just love to like blat Hitler in the face. It's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, so in in my research, I could not find out what the actual budget was, but a lot of this game does feel like a all right, you're taking a risk, prove it with a constrained budget situation. It's like not the world's most expensive looking game in any stretch no, of the world. Like if you were to tell me that later in the game it's the same five monsters but with different colors, I'd believe you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh yeah. Uh it definitely has that like extremely like either they're taking assets from other games and sort of like remixing them, or they made like just a quarter of the assets you would normally make for a game of this uh size. That's the vibe I get anyway. I'm only four hours in, so what do I know? So Dragon Quarter sold more than 140,000 copies in Japan in its first two months and qualified as a PlayStation's best uh, release, which is uh, crazy. But (laughs) the thing is, there's also so many copies of this floating around, at least in the U.S. market, because uh, it did not sell very well. And so you can uh, do like I did and buy a physical copy new in box for $30, which is crazy considering uh, what vintage game prices are still even like after the peak last year yeah in back when uh used game prices were normal you could get this for eight bucks very regularly yeah yeah it received positive but critical reviews and well the the big takeaway though is that longtime fans unsurprisingly largely hated it because it basically feels nothing like uh the previous Breath of Fire games in terms of like the aesthetics, the setting, the mechanics. And so a lot of the things people uh, came to Breath of Fire for just it ain't here. And uh, yeah, going from a breeze to an extremely player hostile game, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in like 2002 before, uh, you know, pre Dark Souls before like hard games became, uh, you know, in vogue again. Just meant that our games uh, were always people, popular on the PC, Matt. Don't don't, don't you fucking tell uh, me that shit. Yeah, but this is a console <laughs> RPG. We're talking about <laughs> console uh, RPG players here. You're, yeah, you're we're talking about first. Babies. Matt agrees. Consoles are for children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, look. If if you were already playing Sheer and the Wanderer, then sure, you would probably vibe with this game. But I was already playing from Sheer and the Wanderer. <laughs> I was playing the Temple of Elemental Evil. Matt, leave me alone. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, just out of yourself as the biggest nerd on this podcast somehow. Uh-huh. <laughs> absolute, <sighs> absolute sicko. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, my, my most formative video game is a freeware roguelike where there is no item scaling and you get the strongest enemies and the best gear on the first floor. Chris Taylor has always mm-hmm. been Chris mm-hmm. Taylor. Of course, of course. So many words have been spilled about how Dragon's Quarter's versions of Ryo and Nina betray the spirit of the characters in the rest of the series, you know, complaining about the lack of humanoid animal tribes and fishing and the paltry number of party members and how the actual dragon transformation, the thing that is kind of in the name of the series, Mm -hmm. just isn't really as much of an important part to it, or at the very least, it very much encourages you not to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the origin of the fishing game meme? Like drag, like breath of fire specifically. I, you know, it, it, 
It might be. It might be. I know that, like, uh, you know, games in, like, the Harvest Moon and, like, that umbrella were also really selling their fishing minigames at the time. But, yeah, Breath of Fire is, I think, the quintessential fishing JRPG. And I, 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 I think that's probably where it comes from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, the game has since then developed a cult following that has praised it as rewarding ahead of its time best game in the series they're totally correct it is Uh, (laughs) like most discussion of it online remains very polarized to this day uh folks either love it or they hate it um when i was doing my research about just like the overall reception i saw so many posts like retrospective posts by like forum moderators and fan site authors who wrote blogs about the dark side of breath of fire fandom uh that cropped up because of all of the flame wars that this game created I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't like this game, it's because you're a baby. (laughs) (laughs) The overall effect of this polarization and the tepid sales overseas is that this was effectively the last Breath of Fire game that was produced. Uh, There is technically a was technically a game called Breath of Fire 6 that was released in 2016, 13 years after Dragon Quarter, but Mm -hmm. it fucking sucked. It was an online game that had a lot of resemblance to Maple Story, full of microtransactions and cornmeal quests, and it would like did the like callback reference. You get it right instead of uh, instead of like actually folding in the series history. Uh, yeah. It was critic Breath of Fire Six was critically savaged. It was a financial failure. It went offline just a little over eighteen months after it was launched, and uh, as an apology, any users with leftover in-game currency were refunded oof you usually don't get the refund yeah a breath of fire series inspired fan game called tears of magic was launched on kickstarter in late 2022 but it failed to meet its funding goal uh full-time development though still continues on it funded via patreon instead of kickstarter it seems much more directly inspired by breath of fire like two through four than dragon quarter the Steam page also says that it was inspired by Mass Effect and Dragon Age. And like that, Breath of Fire 3 plus mm. Dragon Age is not a mashup that makes sense to me. But whatever. Uh, it's not out yet, so I don't know how good or bad it is. But Ryan, what if you wanted to fuck the Frogman? <laughs> um, a uh, our, our... that's also a handy from a frog. <laughs> <laughs> Um, very funnily to me, when the Kickstarter was unsuccessful, a lot of Doomer Breath of Fire fans joked that, uh, they were like, oh, that means it's a real Breath of Fire game because it's a financial failure. (laughs) God, there there has to be a a market for, like, Dragon Age-style games, but for furries. Like, that has to be a thing that already exists on Steam that I'm not going to search. I mean, that, it's... It's Dragon Age Inquisition, like where uh, oh, you, because Frank of the Iron Junior? Bull, like the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the, the <laughs> Cowman, the Cowman. Cowman. <laughs> Matt out here doing scaly erasure also. <laughs> Look, like, like you can't Age just be, I mean, yes, of course, but like, you, of course you would include, you know, I, to be honest, like the more and more, I, like the, the subgroups of uh, anthropomorphic beings like they just sound more and more like slurs to me and i don't know why but the scaly does it's scaly like scaly is if, on the line there if i if i didn't know that that was the name for the community it would sound 
It sounds pejorative. <laughs> I mean, also, I'm sure furry started as pejorative <laughs> to some degree. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's been used there, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a podcast on the history of furries out there that someone could go find and listen to. Mm, mm, mm. Probably on Apple <laughs> Plus or something. I don't know. Oh, you know what? This Breath of Fire fans sound almost as toxic as our podcast listeners. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first four Breath of Fire games shared a number of common elements, tribes of different humanoid animals, a large, diverse cast of party members, a fan-beloved fishing minigame. We love to fish. As the series went on, it started adopting a more morally gray approach to the story with compromised characters and a pensive tone. It also started to fold a lot more post-apocalyptic world-building elements into the background. The first three games are directly connected to one another, but take place hundreds of years apart. There are fan theories that tie the fourth into the series' continuity, and some more disputed fan theories that would put Dragon Quarter sometime in the distant future on that timeline. But you have to really squint to make it work. Yeah, it's basically mm. an unconnected game. Yeah, it's fine. Well, mm -hmm. if we let Zelda fans do it, Breath of Fire fans could do it. Have fun. <laughs> the primary thing that connects all of Breath of Fire games are the two main characters. There's always a blue-haired boy named Ryu who can transform into a dragon. And there is always a winged girl named Nina who is usually a princess of her people. Not really, here. Nina, really, really stress, really hard to listen to women with Nina. <laughs> she doesn't speak. Don't don't laugh. <laughs> no, no, that's why I was laughing, because it was a good joke, because she doesn't speak. <laughs> Does she not speak in the <laughs> other games? <laughs> no, she speaks in the other games. And that okay. uh, one, mm, one of the big flame wars that exists about Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter is specifically Nina, because Nina uh, is like, you know... There are some people who are like, she's like a strong, you know, woman character who who I like really look to. And the other people are like, I like that she had boobs and a really short dress uh, in all of the games. And now they made her a weird child who can't speak and I can't sexualize her. And so I'm mad about Dragon Quarter. Like there are people who are mad that Dragon Quarter Nina is not hot. It is Those people are mad because they're cowards. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> love to sexualize a woman whose entire wardrobe consists of slave clothes. Yeah, slave clothes. <laughs> no, one excuse word. me. Slave clothes <laughs> plus one. <laughs> oh, ooh. <laughs> plus one in what? <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, look, all I'm saying, he's snapping enough irons onto those wrists and it becomes like forearm armor. <laughs> <laughs> Jeebus. Uh, the Dragon Quarter carries a few of these things forward abandons e and abandons even more of them. It also radically alters the context of what it's borrowing. There is still a Ryu, there is still a Nina, but they bear very little resemblance to the Ryu and Nina of Breath of Fire's past. The animal tribes are gone, the large cast is gone, the fishing is gone, and the JRPG comfort food flavors are mostly gone. Just imagine the fishing in this game. The shit you would catch. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be incredible, actually. It'd be an even poorer person who lives further underground than you. Oh my god! Ooh, trying yeah. to get uh, a worm, uh, free protein. God, it'd be funny. Funny if like the first time you like cast the net, the first person you pull up is one of the little girls. Like they were like the shopkeeps, and be like, "Hey, here's a tutorial on how to fish." <laughs> god, I would Those... never fish. Those worms are worth three party XP each. Imagine yeah. throwing that into a uh -huh. hole. Uh huh. 
Oh my God. Those are, they're, they're, oh, it's great. Love killing those things. So it, I, I love this game. Um, and also I think it's fine that it calls itself Breath of Fire 5. Like a series should radically depart. But like, how do y'all feel about the people who feel betrayed by this game uh, and that it's like not a real Breath of Fire? Like, is, is, is that chill with you too? I mean, no, you didn't make the game. Fuck you, loser. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't like, you go I'm, make a game called Breath of Fire, dick? <laughs> I mean, when you have a series where you're not, you don't have like a narrative through line, really. It's just, I mean, it's kind of like what Final Fantasy does, right? There's certain elements that are borrowed or recur. However, it's always a new story, even if you're reusing the same characters. Haha, <laughs> reusing. Um, but it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's fine. I mean, I understand why people are disappointed by it. People are allowed to be disappointed by it, but I also think people should try new and different things sometimes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've never really felt super strongly because there are times when like I will follow something and then like the sequel will take the thing I liked about the first version or whatever and then throw it completely out. And I go, this is a complete waste of time. Why'd you do this? But there are also times where I'm like, just grow the fuck up. It's, it can be different. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, and like like you said, like if Final Fantasy fifteen is a Final Fantasy game, and it is unequivocally, then Breath of yeah. Fire Dragon Quarter is a Breath of Fire game, right? I mean, it does feel like it is, you know, it'd be like Final Fantasy Mystery Dungeon. Like it probably should have not been called five, but I mean, it's not really that big a deal. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Don't say five on the box, so I'm worried about it. Yeah, I mean, like, it'd be different <laughs> if like a like a Trails game turned into a completely different thing in the middle oh of the story it's trying to telling right uh, I, d- the idea of a trails dungeon crawler just like made my skin crawl um, <laughs> no it'll be no, it would be like worse than a disgaia in terms of like right future and fuck. fuck no what 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 <laughs> if all the conversations that you would have with all the npcs on every single after every single plot point was randomized oh mm-hmm. my god mm-hmm. yeah but i mean like Look at like Metal Gear Acid. Uh, that was supposedly. I mean, I haven't played very much of it, but people are incredible. Think, yeah, they think very highly of that game, and it's a very different kind of game than uh, you know the previous games in the Metal Gear series. So, Can you yeah. believe they let Hideo Kojima get away with writing a game about plane hijacking? <laughs> <laughs> That's what Metal Gear Acid's about. That rules. That's that rules. I, God, I do Metal need Gear to get back to that. I've, I've only played like the first like three or four levels of that. Uh, I need to get back to it. Mm. Metal Gear Acid is rough because when it tells you 70%, that's the same as zero. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. Ouch, really? Good to know. Not bad? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. If it, if it ain't fucking 85 plus, it ain't doing it. Good to know. Because, <laughs> I mean, granted, I'm still like, yeah, I, I it makes me think of like fucking XCOM and how they, they actually are cheating in your favor, but it doesn't feel that way when you're playing it. All right. Mean thing about this. This game looks like one of the Netflix CG animes. Yeah. <laughs> it does look terrible. Like, it yeah. like I, This game is like Knights of Sidonia, but bad. <sighs> like, what is this art style? Like, th- this was a thing in, like, the mid-2000s. Like, very bright, like, primary colors. Very, like, swoopy designs. Like, there was just something about this particular era of Japanese media that has a very certain look to it. And mm-hmm. I just absolutely hate it. Like think dot hack think like, 
I don't know. I, I don't have any other examples off the top of my head, but like stuff like that, that was a particular look. Yes. And, uh, and this so has bad. that. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the graphics in this game then. Just a bunch of goobers. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the first thing you'll notice about Dragon Court is how dark and dingy it is. So it, it kind of does feel like an N64 game, just slightly smooth. <laughs> like it's got uh, yeah. that draw distance problem uh, where mm-hmm. everything is just foggy after a certain point. Whereas previous. Why can't you vertically tilt the camera in battle? Why can't the camera go through the ceiling? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, dude, the camera controls are so bad. <laughs> when you fight in a T junction, it makes me want to kill myself. <laughs> yeah. Or like when you're trying to target. A, uh, an enemy that's far away with Lin or Nina, and then like they can't you just shoot can't up. See, you can't see the enemy. Uh, oh, they can't like, shoot up. Let's talk about that giant that. ant guy. Yeah, the most yeah. infuriating fight of all time. Yeah, mm. yeah. But anyway, you know, Breath of Fire in general was very known for its uh, bright and colorful world and a very expressive sprite work. And you get absolutely none of that here because this is the first game of the series that's fully polygonal. And it basically is the, like, you kind of have to do a lot of rounding up to the animation to be like, this is what's happening uh, with these characters emotionally. Uh, Because it's, there's just no expression really going on. Uh, I I disagree with that, but it, it is, it is a very, like simplified style, but they do have like facial expressions and shit. And they have and, some, and like uh, some of good. their, yeah. Uh, I, I just feel, feel like, like there's like, like a pantomimeness to the to the well, animation of the characters, like to each other. Yeah, because it's a PS2 game. I think this is like era appropriate, mm. like pretty good animation. And even though I think the art style is atrocious, it does look really nice. Like. This game takes to emulator upscaling really well. Oh, interesting. Okay. So yeah, I both both Matt and I I think are playing on original hardware. Um, we and are. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> RIP R- R- PS2. I'm so sorry. Shame. But like compare this to like Xenosaga, right? Which was like around the same time. Xenosaga just looks so much better in yeah. like, across the board. But granted, that might be a budget thing because as Yeah, it might have it, it that it might have that it might have been like three times more expensive yeah, to Capcom make. Yeah, not out like here that. with a lot of hits in the PS2 era. That's mm-hmm. true. That's very true. Yeah. But uh yeah, so like a lot of the the art style and the coloring and everything is uh, definitely more in keeping with the dystopian underground vibe of the game, which, by the way, you spent the entire game underground for the record, mm-hmm. uh, which is, again, very different from Breath of Fire, where you're on a world map and you're running around to different towns and such. Yeah, and like all of the coloring is like there's a lot of rusty reds, browns and blacks or sterile whites or like, you know, there's just. <laughs> a lot of grays and boxes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks, Chris, for that screenshot. Uh, <laughs> super, super sexy. Like this, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of Half Life One. Uh, some parts of Half Life One when you're running through, uh, like, oh the, for sure, uh, the Black Mesa facility. God, yeah, but those characters look sharp in upscaling. Like it that does, does look good. good. It makes well, the it environment good. It makes the environment look as boring as it as it is, but like, yeah, yeah. those character that character looks good. Well, it, it does. Be that real. Thing- Xeno looks boring as fuck too. It like <laughs> we're just running through some hallways, except now they're white instead. 
Sure. Oh yeah, the the, the environments. I yeah, totally. Uh, but like. I think it's this has a little bit of that cell shading vibe, right? Like the very uh-huh. hard black outlines, like kind of like your um, jet set radios. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. it just doesn't have it just doesn't have that. Style. I will say, I think the I think the thing is, and you can see it here where we have like the simulated CRT thing. This game looks like shit without scan lines. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Without scan lines and, and like warping. the simulated scan lines go really far here. Mm-hmm, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'd imagine like because I'm playing this uh, like the TV because like that Final I Fantasy use, 12, right? Like a lot of that yeah. stuff, like look, a lot of games of the era are like designed with that in mind. Yeah, I mean, like I am playing like I do play on a flat screen, like an HD flat screen that has a component in. So I'm using the PS2 component out and it does like end up looking pretty smeary at times uh which okay. i'm sure the scan lines would would probably soften the effect of that god my powered Literally. my powered ps2 to hdmi converter is so good like it just mm. it, it it makes it look like not it makes ps2 games look like not a nightmare on my big flat screen nice. i that would yeah. be nice I mean, I have to, I should replace this TV because it has a very when we moved, it ended up with a very, very tiny chip right in the center. That is this white dead pixel now that is oh, always brutal. present. And you have and I had to learn to ignore it. And it's still mm-hmm. it still kind of gets me sometimes. Uh, Yeah, the character designs were handled by a longtime series character designer Tatsuya Yoshikawa, but he opted for a much lighter, almost emaciated look for the characters. Well, a little bit of malnourishment makes sense for the dystopian world that Capcom's created here. It sometimes is a little uncomfortable to look at. It's like a little. Everybody's- well, that's because we're wasting amazing cuts of meat by putting them on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh and, those beets. And those they look steam delicious. like they're cooked. Uh-huh. Why are they cooking this goblin bait? Yeah, you can't tell. Yeah. But when you upscale it, you can tell it steams. Oh my Amazing. god! Incredible. Just preparing some meats to throw at these bats, and we'll place some dynamite on top of it, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine it is like monster meat that's like rancid to humans. Like I would just right. imagine that that's fresh. It is fresh though. It can be fresh and terrible. <laughs> yeah, true. True. Oh, it's from Subway. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Check Subway off as a pot- <laughs> not going to be a potential. Uh, uh, sub- uh, supporter of the podcast what anyway what you, frank's red what, hot only frank's, <laughs> frank's only frank's yeah red yeah, hot yeah yeah and novelty oreos those are our two big brands now right. you listen to lst for the spicy takes but if you want more spice know, in your life <laughs> we know you the listener love water support nestle the only source of water coming soon <laughs> jesus oh uh, fuck yeah and uh yeah, and a lot of the the other parts of the character designs, the big round heads, the giant eyes, they're all just part of what was in the water at the time in Japan. <laughs> they just, all the characters look like that. I mean, hey, at least they don't look, like, extremely young. I mean, they, I guess they kind of do a little bit because everything's kind of, like, rounded off. But they don't look underaged in a way that's uncomfortable, at the very yeah. least, which was pretty common in that era. Uh-huh. And, um... As mentioned before, yeah, it's got that like heavy black outline that makes it look more like hand drawn, cartoonish, cel shaded, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. 
all the cutscenes are done in engine with a lot of emphasis on uh, cinematic shots and short direct lines of dialogue in speech bubbles. Uh, did you guys notice in the like uh, hype reel before you start the game that the speech bubbles start in Japanese and then they like superimpose the English on top of it? Oh, later? no, that's great. Yeah, it, it's not in the game itself when you're playing it, but I did notice that at first. So I'm like, wait a second. They didn't even they just basically like took the reel from the, the Japanese uh, version and just went like, we're just going to like Photoshop the English on top a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And like the 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 uh, English text that's on the ID card also makes very little sense, which makes me think that the ID card, like the name registration thing, was the same in both. That they just didn't localize that, you know, graphic mm. element. Boy, that you asset. don't have a lot of characters to work with. I'm sure we'll talk about what we named our characters next episode when we start the game. Yeah, yeah. You know what this game looks like to me? Actually, it looks exactly like Godzilla Singular Point. I don't know what that is. Same. This is a Godzilla anime uh, where all the characters are clearly like Guilty Gear 3D models that have anime aesthetic and Uh. look a lot like this. Like when they turn around and stuff, they look exactly like this game. Okay. Huh. Interesting. This is really cool, by the way. Extremely hard sci-fi. Check it out. Ryan B. specifically. Okay. Mm -hmm. I will. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. 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 But yeah, the uh, overall effect of the graphics here really convey the uh, claustrophobic and oppressive atmosphere of the game. And it's just super ugly on purpose. Unfortunately, that also means that a lot of the environments do feel repetitive uh, because they're just, you know, they're not doing a ton with the environments here. And they had some. Yeah, they designed a whole world that's a bunker. And as a result, everything is like gray industrial hallways. Yeah. 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 Or like railroad, like train sections and yeah yeah I, and i like i want to try to make the distinction between it's like i really like the vibe of this game in general and the look contributes to the vibe and also yeah. i think it's an ugly game but i still like it like it well, it's still the vibe is ugly it's bad yeah. vibes yeah, it yeah. Is. It's <laughs> and the vibes are rancid. <laughs> like, let's be real. I mean, you saw all those all those skeletons chained <laughs> uh yeah, mm-hmm. chained to girders vibes bad parentheses <laughs> complimentary yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh continuing with the vibes uh the music was composed by hitoshi sakamoto who was a newcomer to the breath of fire series but had already composed the music to final fantasy final fantasy tactics by this point and would go it on sounds to compose so much like final fantasy tactics same fucking string samples on a lot it's the same string samples yeah it very different final fantasy uh, uh, vibes but still similar sound uh he would go on to compose for another evil east game final fantasy 12 um yeah this was mm. wild to me to find out his There's- sometime collaborator Yasunori Mitsuda, who composed a few legendary mm. JRPG soundtracks himself, was the sound producer for this game. So he was doing a lot of like the audio stuff and worked with Sakamoto to help shape the overall like vibe of each track and like the direction that the tracks should go when he wasn't doing those sound producer duties. And so this is like it it, it it's not a full like this is co-written by Yasunori Mitsuda, but he he did some work on it. Yeah, I mean, it like, sounds uh, a um, lot like Final Fantasy twelve, but more industrial. It's basically the soundtrack. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I still, I still think back to uh, the Shadow Hearts Covenant season just for the soundtrack. That soundtrack was great. Oh, that soundtrack was super good. Yep. 
So yeah, the the tenor of the music is very different from both previous Breath of Fire soundtracks, uh, which ranged from Mega Man X ass Capcom music in Breath of Fire 2 to surprisingly jazzy for Breath of Fire 3 and 4. Uh, mm-hmm. And it also, it, it, it sounds like... Because it's industrial, it sounds different from Sakimoto's other compositions as well. But like Chris said, you can definitely hear the similarity there. Uh, it, pr- it prioritizes mood and atmosphere over melody with uh, tons of like sinister synth pads, some very light industrial drums, just like some cyberpunk flavors in there. It's a good soundtrack. It's not, I would not put this soundtrack up uh, just like to listen to on its own, but f- but in concert with the game, I think it's good. It also, it does have a closing credits J-pop ballad. It's called Castle Imitation. It was performed by uh, Chihiro Onitsuka, who was pretty a pretty popular J-pop artist uh, at the time. And she liked the song so much that she also put it on her own album, Sugar High, in 2002. Um, mm. So... It, it, there, yeah, we've 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 got a JRPG J-pop song here. Um, I don't, I have not heard Finally. it yet because, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's better than Eyes on Me. Um, I haven't heard it yet. But it's better <laughs> it's than hard Eyes not on to me. me. Yeah. All right, is Eyes on Me better or worse than the Xeno Saga song? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. It's tough. Mm. I think it might be worse. I really don't like Eyes on Me. And I love Final Fantasy VIII. In keeping with the theme of a Dragon Quarter is a huge departure for Breath of Fire, the game is much more of a tactical dungeon crawler than it is a traditional JRPG. It's like, we're really just out here playing like Etrian Odyssey, but Monster XP is a limited resource is really what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Towns are far and few between, and sometimes you'll run all the way back from the start of Biocorp to the main uh-huh. town. And then uh-huh. there will be a shop one screen later that you didn't know was there. And you wasted an uh, hour. It sucks. It sucks so fucking bad. Look, sometimes you'll say, oh, this town must be two screens because there's nowhere to buy items. And then JK, there's a boss fight right after where all of your party immediately dies. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the vast majority of your time will be spent running through the game's huge interconnected dungeons fighting monsters and doing shuttle runs back to town and conveniently placed NPCs to sell loot, clear inventory space, and stock up on healing items. This game needs like a fucking town portal. That's what we really need. <laughs> like if you never have to go back, be bit, that'd be it. You do get one kind of via the ant colony um, eventually. Great. Yeah. Hmm. So, so who, should, a lot of should we be murdering these ants or not? 
Well, I, it doesn't, they're not going to hate you if you murder the ones that don't work for you. Um, but I uh, felt a uh, little sad about it. <laughs> I mean, look, they're, they're always protecting good gear or like good items. I like feel, you kind of need to. I feel nothing. Apparently they don't, they're not even considered a uh, humanoid animal. So I feel nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of inspiration from roguelikes making it this game is very ahead of its time uh-huh in 2002 spike chunsoft's mystery dungeon series was a long-running cult hit and traditional roguelikes were still very active in their niche but the roguelite boom where every indie game uh had roguish elements it didn't become uh a real thing until 2011 or 2012 yeah, so like Spelunky Flash was released in 2008, but it was not mm-hmm. the same phenomenon until its non-Flash release, which was after mm-hmm. Isaac and FTL were there. So don't at me about like <laughs> how roguelites didn't hit until 2011. I know when Spelunky was released, I was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What? All right. I'm looking for the game. Okay, Chris out here trying to undermine your authority. No. <laughs> in real Chris, time. Is to, Chris is trying to at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So the game I was thinking about was Dungeons of Dreadmore, which is 2011. Mm. And the reason I was also thinking about this is that this game has fucking monster zoos in it that make me deeply upset whenever you walk into one. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. And Dungeons mm. of Dreadmore, you can just open a door to a large room and every single tile is occupied by an enemy from, and they're all from every floor. So it's, it's like the most brutal. mixed difficulty grindy boss fight ever and they will flood out of there and follow you through the whole dungeon and this game has that except you get locked in the monster zoo oh my god no (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's rough that's rough it's it's not that that i was like oh yeah and the worst part is that the dungeons of dreadmore engine has this like built-in like one second pause when you open a door and you're like, oh no! And then the new, uh, the, the special music starts playing. Yeah. And the big... digga, 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 digga. Exactly like that. Fuck, man. <laughs> the dungeons are made of discrete blocks of rooms and hallways with the worst map ever. Mm-hmm. Well, the map, the map is bad until you get into later zones where you have a map for that zone. Right in the initial subway where you only have the map of just these rooms connect to each other this way. And it's supposed to be a a full 3D map of how the rooms connect is very not helpful. No, I know. Yeah, that's that second map sucks. (laughs) Uh, Party inventory is incredibly limited. Uh, Like we're talking, you got 10 item slots and four of them are occupied by things you use on the field and Uh things stack up to 10 on it. Gear has to be identified by an NPC before they can be equipped to your other free gear slots, your unidentified gear, also eating into that 10. Mm-hmm. Encounters with non-boss enemies can get out of hand very quickly. Uh, you cannot really speed this game up in your emulator. Mm. <laughs> you get got by a lot of guys around corners. Uh-huh. <laughs> or coming down from the ceiling. He's <laughs> fucking... Let me tell you about how hard it is to hit a spider at two times speed. <laughs> I <laughs> can imagine. The ceiling. <laughs> it took like 150 free damage from these spiders. Oh, rough. Uh, Hilarious. There are no healing spells and no ends in the game. The only way to restore HP is by using items, which cost money, which is how you do your gear. And enemies don't respawn. So everything you could get from an enemy is a limited resource. Yeah. Early on in the game, inventory is at a serious premium. Half your slots are definitely going to be occupied by heal kits and aid kits. Additionally, it's rarely economical to fully heal to max. 
Unlike most other roguelikes, nothing in the game is randomized or procedurally generated. The items and treasure boxes and the layout of enemy encounters is bespoke. <laughs> Artisanal dungeon design. Very good. The use of bespoke here is very funny. Uh, well, this, uh-huh. well, this may be disappointing to hardcore roguelike fans. It does make the overall progression of the game more manageable. JK, that means they know exactly how hard it can possibly be, and that's how hard it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just thinking about small batch uh, dungeon encounters. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's basically what we're doing here. Uh-huh. Yeah, fucking biocorp to table goblins. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Free, free range uh, fucking monsters. This aforementioned inventory limit plays a huge role in the rhythm of the game. While it slowly expands with pickups and has story moments, decisions about whether or not to pick up certain items, whether or not it's worth the time to run all the way back to the last item shop or locker, how many healing items to bring on an expedition, and whether or not to junk lows any items that are clogging precious space will be in the forefront of dungeon crawling for a lot of this game. The skill that lets you steal when you get hit is a trap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hard saves are... Yeah, it eats yeah. up all your AP and your inventory slots. I didn't really just get a thing AP. that sells for 20. Yeah, you take it uses five AP. Oh, I did not know that. It's Jeez. a trap. Only if you get something. Well, but, but also there it's a trap. But then there are also um, missable skills that can be stolen from bosses. So it's a trap both yeah. ways. Yeah, I learned that reading the notes. Well, that's why you just put it on for boss fights if you know when they're going to happen. Hard saves are extremely limited. They can only be done at payphone-shaped save points called telecorders and require consumable items called save tokens, which are only ever found in dungeons, never in shops. This means that there's a limited number of save tokens. There is a soft save system, a la Dark Souls and every mobile JRPG, like all the... Mm -hmm. This is like the Final Fantasy IV DS thing, where you just quick save, and when you load it, the quick save is deleted. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Oh, my God. In an absolutely bizarre move, the soft save system was removed from the PAL release of the game. That's what Europeans deserve. (laughs) To compensate, they threw in a ton more save tokens to that version. Boo, the white man wins again. (laughs) But having to save all the progress at a teleporter Uh is still a huge mistake. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, all you have to do is go into the pause menu and hit quit instead of give up, and it will just oh. make a soft save right there. Yeah. So you just you just quit from the menu. I did not know that. That's going to be very helpful when I have to like stop in the middle of a play thing because my daughter oh. woke up. Yeah. I explicitly asked him. Look, maybe you should maybe you should read the chat where I asked about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, well, I don't know. Me read. Hmm. <laughs> if you write it in japanese maybe i'll figure it out look did i forget within 20 minutes of reading uh, yeah i know (laughs) i know what you're about to say (laughs) you Mm. that you forgot that we weren't recording yeah anyway uh no i was talking about how i forgot that we were recording at nine o'clock within an hour of reading it word Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so there isn't a whole lot of character customizations in the game you can give permanent plus one stat boosts with consumable items, which you should use immediately because they are filling up your very limited inventory when uh, you get them. Except for if you get uh, any juju items before you get Nina, put them in an item locker because uh, giving Oops. Ryu more magic does not matter. Okay, I gave him at least one, so... It's fine. It's <laughs> oh, fine. Well, it's They're not just plus one. Yeah, it's, it's a small it, numbers RPG, like a- but 
it's like small numbers, but like you're already starting in like the the mid yeah. double digits. So like mm-hmm. plus one is like point zero five percent, maybe. Anyway, yeah. Otherwise, uh, your build and setup lies in the gear and the skill system. So skills are well, skills come in items that are stolen or dropped from enemies, or they uh, lie locked away in treasure boxes. Or it can be purchases from the enterprising ants, who we'll talk a little bit more about later. We've already kind of hinted at it. Upon consuming, these items will give a character permanent access to a new combat skill. And you can get multiple of them, mm-hmm. which is funny. Although I don't believe... Them, but they're it, not the, worth The anything. extra ones are sellable, but they're not worth that much. Like, they're like between no. 10 and 50 zenny, basically. Yeah, it's it's not worth lugging around, probably. And they also don't stack, and so it's like if you no. already have learned a jolt, and then you get like yeah. four more jolts there. That's four yeah. inventory slots because every one of those stale dudes drops a jolt, which is which is helpful if you're like running by a bunch of them first. If you felt didn't feel like fighting them, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's wow, kind of only. And I don't think any of the to sell these. <laughs> <laughs> mm. and, and I would assume that all of them are character specific. Like kick is only going to be reused. Like nobody else uses kick. Yeah, shield is the yeah. only one that I've encountered. Uh, it halfway through the game uh, on my like you know planning playthrough uh, that yeah. where shield or steel you get everybody gets it, but that's it. Yep, yep. But yeah, uh, after these skills are learned, they have to be equipped to a weapon, and a high level weapon can have a maximum of three weak, three medium, and three strong skills. Uh, weaker weapons may only be able to carry up to two weak, two medium, and zero strong, and uh, almost always have one or two locked wep- or weapon locked skills that cannot be removed. This sounds really limited because it is, but uh, there's a lot of uh, strategic synergy inside of the system. Uh, certain skill combos will trigger special attacks, and many skills work in tandem with other party members. An example of this is uh, Nita could set a G flare down behind an enemy and then Ryu could kick that enemy into the flare for massive damage on his turn. So, you know, kick doesn't do a ton of damage. It's like 75% of a normal hit, but it does push back your enemy. I think they said two and a half meters. Mm-hmm. And that's like a pretty, pretty big that's distance. That's 25 AP, basically. Yeah. The only thing about that combo though is that like in order to cast the fire further away you, it costs more ap because of the distance and so i don't usually i think you want to put traps in front of the enemy and just have them walk right into it well here's <laughs> what you do you kick them towards the group set the fire behind, between the enemy and ryu and then out of my way them into it mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah you're basically like uh pinballing them around because that yeah. gives you because you can stack G flares on top of each other, that gives you a bajillion damage to do it that way. Yeah. And it, it saves yeah. Nina AP so you can fit in an extra jolt or two, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Nina's so strong in this early game. It's great. She really is. Yeah. In case you haven't tried it yet, Matt, you can set G flare halfway through a wall, which makes it way more usable than it seems. No, I've, I've tried to, like, move it around to see where... Because, like, it does feel... Almost every time I am setting one up, there's very limited spaces where it'll actually be able to like be set down because either there's yeah. a character in the way or there's a wall in the way or it's too close or like you don't have enough AP to go slightly further away. Well, you can mm-hmm. put it through a wall is what I'm telling yeah. you. Like 
two thirds yeah. of it can be hanging out into the void. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've done. Like, because you, you just block in doorways with it. It's great. In addition, starting a combo with a debuff and combining that with the plus ten percent bonus for using a new move in a combo can cascade into huge damage numbers. I think the other thing with the weapons is so you have three slots in your uh, equipment for armor weapons and shields and i believe mid battle you can change your equipment you can uh, you can't change yeah. the skills but you can equip uh, something that's in your equipment slots but not equipped. right but right. you so can as long set as... skills on gear you don't have equipped so you could be right. changing between skill sets at the same time mm-hmm. yeah exactly like you have like i i hate in a jrpg where you end up in a battle and you just have like the wrong sword attached so you you're basically like you have the wrong element, so now you're healing an enemy with one of your major hitters, and it's like turns the whole battle into crap because you, yeah, you couldn't you predict what the enemy was. Yeah. But like this allows you to to switch it up. And then also it means that you at least wanna you don't necessarily want to sell off every weapon you have at every store just because you may want to have alternate movesets in order to, mm-hmm. to f- swap around. Uh it gives you more yeah. flexibility. So the tactical nature of this game is not just in the combat. The tactics begin before the fights start. So battles technically take place on a separate screen once you engage an enemy, but they are identical identical copies of the level geometry, meaning uh, annoyingly that things like ramps, corners, and kill corridors can all factor into fights. Uh, it's great mostly, but the ramps, because uh, you, you can't attack a character on a different altitude than you are so you have to like run all the way down the ramp if there's a if if there's like a bat below you or above you it that part sucks but this is either really good or horrible like with the bats it like half the time it's really good because you're lighting like fire all the way along and then i'm gonna go back to this giant ant fight because it's the worst fight in the game by miles so far it is awful that you can't aim up and mm-hmm. that you have to go all the way around just eating fire damage the whole time. I did not. I don't think I met this giant giant ant, so I, and I'm glad I didn't. Did you not meet this giant ant? I don't, I don't I, yeah. think it's in a so. danger it? room. Oh, mm, oh, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah, so. yeah. I, I don't think I went in there. I accidentally I did. So when I came in, you come in a room, you go to a right and um, you don't. I think this room is optional. But there's a giant ant immediately to your left, which I didn't notice. And I mm-hmm. ran away so fast he got stuck there. But that means oh. he's on the opposite side of the room from the ramp up. And he just has a ton of like ranged spells. So that oh, means for like five God, turns, he's... I'm just eating fire blast the whole way across the room. How did you not room. die? The damage is so high in this early game. Well, let me tell you about how I got to Bosch with uh, two characters at about 40 health and Ryu oh, at about my 40 God. health. And uh, both of genius. my party members immediately get jibbed by the other guys. And the only yeah. reason I didn't lose is because Ryu can't take damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers for that. But I do, have about, I do have about 12% D skill already as a result oh, of this. Oh my God. It's terrifying. Uh, so the designers wanted the combat to feel like a mix of real time and turn based. And even though all the combat is turn-based, they achieve that by making the actions on the field matter in the fights. 
all of the enemies are visible on the field and will either aggro you or run away from you uh, once you're detected. If you manage to strike them with your lead character before they can attack you, that character will get a free extra turn at the start of a battle. If an enemy hits you first, they'll get the free extra turn. There is no neutral fight besides boss fights where people would yeah. get where people don't get extra turns. It's either you or the enemy. So, so one question on that. The extra turn, does it go to your controlling character when yes, you start? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Which because, is uh, yeah. why you want to do, like, even even though, like, Bosch is harder to get a free turn with, you can immediately start with, like, a lion smash and win the encounter really fast. But yeah, right. it's easier to get the extra turn with Ryu, but it's way less effective yeah. because mm -hmm. Ryu is squishy, doesn't do as much damage, right. but he's so much easier to hit an enemy with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking the same thing when when you get other party members because like I have Ryu as my yeah fuck around with other lady. character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like the the problem was that like by the time you run over to an enemy and then hit him a couple of times, uh, Ryu basically has no AP and it makes setting up with Nina like the next turn a little annoying. Yeah, um, unless you well, just unless you make sure your last move is a kick, which I don't always uh, do. And like n n it, I. I have not looked at the numbers on this. I have not done research, but it feels like Nina it has like the shortest range on her field strike. It like she like lifts it does her look little, really tiny. Yeah, I, she I saw her, her do Wanda it. Yeah. and bashes, and it it I it's tough uh, to get an. I think I want to try Nina. Gun Lady because just yeah. the ability to tell enemies in their first turn that they can't go anywhere seems mm -hmm. really strong. Mm -hmm. And does. also, yeah. Gun Lady can uh, initiate a battle from much farther away, too. So, that um, makes sense. Yeah, you're not just setting up to take a bunch of damage like you do when you start it within melee range like Ryu. Right. Yeah, yeah. It definitely seems like a, a good option for crowd control. Yeah. Uh, it definitely, yeah, absolutely. So, your minimap has a cluster of blinking dots that correspond to enemies inside your combat radius. It's very tough to actually pay attention to the minimap when you're also uh -huh. like frantically trying to strike an enemy. So, you know, uh -huh. but uh, yeah, these dots represent also the enemies that work you... around corners. Mm -mm. There no, will be an no. enemy in your radius that doesn't show up on your minimap because your minimap doesn't show you around corners. It shows you what you could theoretically see. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely run into an enemy that was like tucked around a corner and I and it looked empty. So I turned the corner and ran right into him. Yeah, that's it's not great. Brutal. Basically, like if you're going if you're going into a blind turn, just like be be swinging your sword. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> Real talk. Fuck the default controls because it's so easy to accidentally push a button and end your turn. Uh huh. I've done that. I've done that. <laughs> yeah, it's like playing Baldur's Gate three with my child, where she'll accidentally skip her turn as Gale constantly, and I'm like, you can't oh, be doing no. that. Oh no! That's three no. quarters of her damage. What are you doing? Yeah, it's like each each like action takes a like a a different button combo, and knowing like when is okay, circle then triangle, and knowing when is okay, triangle then circle. Yeah, you can skip your turn very easily. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's the bad version of what Zeno Saga does. Well, there's like a bumper right. that just skips your turn. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it'll tell it's you like this every time you end a turn <laughs> for a while. So what this all means is that it is possible to see an enemy in a dungeon and then enter into a battle and not have that enemy in the encounter. So you can 
strategically divide and conquer large groups of enemies into smaller, more manageable battles. But yeah, it's inconsistent the way it works. And so it's tough to like use the minimap radar as like a tactical skill because yeah or you no. can get 150 party xp by killing 20 bats all at once with two bombs Shit, in yeah. the same battle jeez that's a lot amazing so yeah speaking of bombs uh the game supplies you with a steady supply of bait and traps bait can be used to either lure or distract enemies who will go for the food instead of the party and and munch on it until it's gone this allows you to run past battles or strike first while the enemies are distractedly munching some of the food will create a debuff effect like sleep or poison if you do decide to engage in battle so that not the fresh meat, but things like sleepy shroom or poison shroom a little bit later yeah. in the game will do that. Traps are incredibly interesting. Most of them are explosives, and they can be thrown at enemies in the field to reduce their HP before even entering into a fight. So you can just throw a stick of dynamite, and if it hits an enemy, it will blast them, and then that HP will carry over into the encounter. Or you can also place them on the field and then when you actually enter into a battle if you're within the bomb radius uh it will ex you can activate the bomb and it will explode for massive damage also there is no friendly fire on in battle trap activation so like ryu's not gonna get blown up when he activates the bomb uh, uh -huh. so thank <laughs> so can you kick the bomb can you I reposition the bomb with battle skills i haven't tried it yet i i don't think I so don't i think know. it just I've I've only seen the command be use. You don't use like an attack on. So I haven't mm. tried it yet, though. Maybe I'll try. I it just next wonder session. if you can because you can use like potions on enemies on accident, which is very funny to do. Yeah. Mm. So um, I'm not on that. <laughs> you can have up to uh, three traps and three like damage field magic spells on a battlefield at one time and so you can set these traps up and just have a huge tactical advantage if you're using them right and the game really does throw a lot of bait and traps at you more than anything else so <laughs> these tactical field elements have a proper noun name in game because it's a jrpg so there has to be a proper noun for every mechanic and they call this yep. the positive encounter and tactic system or pets making heavy <sighs> use of this petting <laughs> good oh, lord and then uh, finally to wrap up the like the the field skill and pet stuff uh each playable character has a field skill that can further aid in navigation and set up uh advantageous encounters ryu gets a skill called d dash that can be used to sprint through an arena and uh will also knock enemies out of the way without triggering an encounter unfortunately Ooh, you can only the use the button is accidentally ending your turn there's just the cursed bumper you never want to push basically yeah. <laughs> yeah never set your controller down just don't do it <laughs> also the d dash uh can only be used freely for about an hour and a half because once the d counter becomes a thing using the d dash will just like ratchet your uh, d counter up so like dashing past enemies on the field not worth it so sprint through the trash heap as to your heart's content because it's the only time that you can D-dash for free. Then uh, Nina can suck all the items in an area towards her, which has limited use but can be very helpful if like a bat dropped an item in an inaccessible place or if we're trying to avoid a powerful enemy but want to suck the heal kit that's behind them to us. And then Lynn can 
pistol snipe enemies and boxes from a distance. This can help with starting a battle with lots of space between you and the enemy to spend a few turns buffing or setting traps. She will also uh, get a level up to that skill called Charge Shot partway through the game, which will knock enemies away and temporarily stun them without entering into combat if you hold the button instead of just pressing it. And and those don't cost any extra like defense right. or whatever. Yeah, no. Nina's and Lynn's field skills don't cost shit. It's Thank just reuse. I gotta abuse the shit out of those. To me, it sounds like Lynn is the best. Mm-hmm. Combat is turn-based, but has a heavy emphasis on tactics and positioning. Each character has a pool of ability points that they use to both move and attack. There is no discrete move phase and attack phase. Players are free to mix and match movement and attacking as they please. This is basically what a Larian game would be if you used your movement pool to attack also. Mm-hmm. Movement is fully free roaming and not grid based. Uh, and it does not. My one beef with this, it would be so nice if my character just stopped moving at zero. I know. I know. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You waste so much time. <laughs> well, especially because, like, you know, it's a very fast AP drain on movement. And Extremely. so. And so, yeah, it's like you you go past zero and then it's like, oh, shit, I got to reset the movement or like run backwards a tiny little bit so that I. Yeah, yeah. that sucks. I totally well, it, agree. It, it doesn't show you on the map uh, like what your movement range is, except for like before you start doing your your move. Right. And, well, really, and it doesn't tell you your, your AP range. range. That's not your movement range. You have a max amount you can move if you like. Right. So. Example, yeah, basically, this basically ba- go back to this battle with the giant ant where Nina has like 300 AP, but can still only move 30 APs worth a turn. Yeah, right. Yeah, because that has to do with, um, I mean, yeah, there's your max range, which is based on your equipment. Speed stat. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then there's the, yeah, it is it is very annoying. You will fiddle with this a lot. And uh, I find a lot of the time I am doing these battles and trying to do any positioning i'm like just doing like little 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 like flicks of the stick to be like ah, right here right here i have mm-hmm. just enough ap to do one more attack if i stand mm-hmm. right in this spot i i think the range and ap being decoupled is like very strategically good i think all of this is good it's very annoying and fiddly but it's also very good to me that you get to fiddle with it yeah oh yeah this is way better than like you know, a basic turn-based, uh, you know, JRPG battle system, yeah. right? Because, like, you actually, like, any any battle system that actually cares with about positioning opens up so much more in terms of tactics and, and synergies and other things. Using items does not consume AP, and there is no limit to the number of items cons- you can use in a turn, but a yes. character has to have any AP left in order to use them in battle. Once an enemy is in range, characters can mix and match a combination of 10, 20, and 30 AP attacks. You can only step up. You can't step back down in your right. combo. You can, you can step sideways, too. But you, yeah, right. you cannot step down. Using attacks in different succession will raise a combo meter that adds 10% to each new attack. But some skills cannot be comboed off of each other. In addition, some skill combinations trigger a unique combo attack that will do additional damage and end the combo. Some characters have attacks that can push enemies away, some have attacks that draw them in, and some characters have trap spells that put damage zones on unoccupied ground and make the enemy movement AI worse where they will go out of their way to walk into it. Thank you, whoever Mm -hmm. did that. 
In combination, this leads to a lot of isolating enemies, creating space and defensive walls, and bunching up weaker enemies in order to ruin them with AoE skills. Uh, in total, the combat is like really dynamic and engaging in the regular encounters uh, a lot more than basically every JRPG ever. We'll see if that tactical interest keeps up all the way through the game or will eventually feel encounter fatigue. Strong suspicion that this will not be a Shadow Hearts Covenant. Because, like, that's the thing with Shadow Hearts Covenant, right? Like, the thing is cool and additive, but it just makes everything take too long. But mm -hmm. the positional stuff makes the ceiling and floor so much wider in combination yeah. with, like, the limited resource nature of the game, I think mm -hmm. will be, like, very additive. Yeah, yeah. I I've been trying to workshop uh, a joke about uh, I I'm not the step skill, I'm the skill that stepped up. And I just haven't been able to get it to land precisely, but I wanted to say it on mic anyway. <laughs> Thank you. And you're the editor, so you can decide if this reaction is uh, is is, uh -huh, is uh -huh. worth keeping in the show. Yes, that is that is my power. So speaking of power, we have. Uh, I just ruined myself because I'm doing a transition. <laughs> That's shit. The, for anybody making a podcast, the way to make you not be forced not to cut something is to make the transition related to the thing you just said that you were going to cut. Beautiful. Anyway, yeah, dragon how, transformations. So many brutally dark jokes stay in this show. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Uh, so, uh, dragon transformations and the decounter. Uh, Ryu can transform into at least one powerful dragon in each Breath of Fire game, and Dragon Quarter is no exception to this. However, the way in it manifests game, here... only a quarter of the dragon. Uh -huh. oh, but you're only going to want to use a quarter of the dragon because if you go full dragon, you die. Well, a lot of him is missing. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I walked in that room and he's like missing his legs and arms. I'm like, oh, it's the titular quarter of a dragon. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then credits roll. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that would oh be a god. great edit if somebody was like, oh my god, it's the quarter of a dragon. And then yeah. credits. However, the way it manifests here is extremely different from previous games in the series, where Ryu can essentially turn into a dragon as a spell and has multiple powerful draconic forms that he could use at will. Let's be real. He turns into Azura's Wrath. Yeah. Oh, here, yeah. It's yeah, extremely not a dragon. Asura. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so in this game, about four hours in, Ryu gets the ability to do this transformation. Uh, this gives him uh, angry red eye glows, or well, just overall glows, but especially the eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, a big stat boost and an arsenal of extremely powerful moves. The first time you get to use this, you go, holy shit, mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's so it's, extreme. It's so powerful. And yeah, in that first fight, nobody can even damage Ryu. Uh, it's bonkers. I love how in the cutscenes he's just be the beginning guy all the time is very uh -huh. fucking funny. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, he, he even has like the, uh, the, the ghost of something whispering in his head at all times. Mm -hmm. That's right. He even has multiple tiers of anime eye colors, giving him additional powers. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. However, it comes at an extremely heavy cost, which is the decounter. As soon as Ryu goes dragon mode for the first time, a little percentage meter appears in the top right of the screen and starts ticking upwards towards 100%. Uh, from this point on, every action that Ryu takes will increase the decounter. Walking around in the field, standing still for too long. A normal combat turn inches it up, like, and all, a lot of these are by like hundredths of a percentage point. But in aggregate, basically, 
this counter is going up no matter what. And using any of Ryu's dragon abilities will make it skyrocket quickly by multiple percentage points. And uh, you do not want to let this go to 100%. Because at that point, it triggers a hard game over, which prompts a uh, the either... What, SOL, what does SOL specifically stand for? Screen overlay. Screen overlay. Uh, wonderful. Screen overlay no. restart or restore, <laughs> which is a major point of this game, which you probably have heard of. Uh, when someone tells you you get to play the game a lot, <laughs> well, guess what? This is what they're talking about. Uh, and, and unfortunately, this meter cannot be reduced in any way. You're stuck with it uh, until you either restart or restore. Furthermore, the game's final two bosses require dragon attacks to be vulnerable to other damage, so getting to the final fight at something like 98% isn't feasible either. So yeah, I have not been able to find exact numbers on like what the absolute maximum D-counter you can have uh, in the final fight and still get to complete the game is. Uh, if I find those numbers, I will let you know for planning purposes. But yeah, it's... It'll it's be a huge help, yeah. <laughs> Like knowing when you're kind of screwed or when you have like a little bit of headroom to uh, mm-hmm. to play with a skill that you're in a tough spot. But it's not quite as strict as it sounds, because while it's easy to get the uh, D counter to rocket up by 8% or more in a boss fight, uh, if you don't use the dragon powers until the very end, your counter will be around 20 to 35% going into the end game. So, you know, it isn't necessarily a death sentence. Cannot imagine getting to the end of the game on your first play of this game, given that I'm already basically bottoming out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. it like it. Uh, people have done, I think, the the lowest speed run is like at 18 percent. And that is wild to me uh-huh. Uh-huh. because you can easily get to like 12 or 13 percent the first time you use this. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the thing is, this is a constant source of anxiety because, uh, you don't know how long this game is. So especially on your first playthrough. So you probably are just like looking at that being like, assuming that you actually know what it is. I'm sure a lot of people tried playing it and they're like, Ooh, this dragon skill kicks ass and they start using it. And then they get a game over. They're like, what the fuck? Uh I would merely read the manual available from (laughs) cdromance.com or Vim's lair. Shout Uh, out to Vim's lair. I mean, I bought the physical version. I don't recall there being much of a, a a manual in it at all. Oh, yeah. No, there's a manual. There's a manual. I guess it's really slim or something. I'm not going to take doesn't read Matt Marcus's opinion on what's in a book. No, I flipped <laughs> through it and I don't remember. I, mean, I, went, I was looking they, for information and the one I had didn't really have any. They, they Matt, do. Matt flipped through it and said, wow, there's no Hold girls on. holding hands. Through Hold the on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course not. Hold on. Let me grab it. It's in the, I know where it is in the other room. <laughs> I, I love how I'm bullied Matt. So he had to go get a manual. Wow. It's not. Oh my God. I know that it's here. I fucking know that it's here. Okay, Ryan, yours looks different because you have an actual booklet. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause that's what one, I'm saying. The, this is no, but look at mine. Look at mine. Oh, Nothing. okay. Nothing. Yeah, no, you got you you got scammed, my friend. Well, this was like actually like I guess I guess that's probably what happened because it was it was uh, shrink wrapped and was sold as new, but it doesn't have. It basically has the booklet with all of like the the legal stuff in it and nothing mm. else. Either that or this is a later printing where they didn't bother printing a whole booklet. Um. 
Yeah, no, I, I didn't even read the manual. I just looked at before I played dot com, a great resource <laughs> for video games. Sometimes. All the time. If it's not a great resource, make it a great resource, Matt. It's a wiki. You could just change it. That's true. You can troll people. Anyway, I added a lot of info for Final Fantasy X-2 because uh, Dave continued to get owned by Final Fantasy X-2 the entire uh-huh. time in a way that I mm-hmm. think is so funny. Yeah. And you did wait, You did that in order to screw, screw Dave over? No. No, in order okay. to help him. Okay, okay, okay. But uh, there, there's still a lot of debate on how this actually worked in the game. Game timers are already controversial and generally because of the anxiety they uh, impart. But the decounter turns a game doesn't have to make you feel good. <laughs> that is true. Uh, check out papers, please, on Steam. Uh, but the decounter turns reused dragon form into more of an oh shit button than an actual mechanic. And uh, dangling these powerful abilities in front of the character, and then saying, uh, if you use this too much, uh, you'll just completely uh, fail your run is pretty cruel and discourages players from trying it at all. I guess it just depends on what your gamer psycho- psychographic is. Um, yeah, this sort I. Of thing. I love this. I understand why people are frustrated, but also, like, I think it rocks. Yeah, you should definitely, again, like your like hit points in every video game. You should be spent in this ratio, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So th- there's something in the world, which I, I put, like, the story and world-building stuff at the end of this episode. Uh, and so we haven't talked about D-Ratio, but D-Ratio is basically, that like... It funnier a cast system yeah. uh and so yeah ryu starts the game with a pathetic d ratio of one eight thousand one hundred ninety second each time you mm-hmm. beat the game you are awarded a number of points for your overall performance factoring in things like time taken chests opened party level these points will give you a higher d ratio on new game plus the highest d ratio anyone in dragon quarter society can achieve is one quarter the titular dragon quarter it is technically possible to do well enough the first time through that you receive a one quarter for your second playthrough but the vast majority of players will need to play at least three times to get to this highest ranking uh just because you know your your shit carries over on new game plus and so you can you can do better the next time Mm-hmm. Some doors in the game are locked to players with a low D ratio, and some screen overlay cutscenes only play with a 1 256th or better ratio. So it is literally impossible to see everything in this game on one playthrough. Uh, this game is shorter than the average JRPG. It takes about 20, 25 hours the first time through if you're not like taking your time or having to take notes on it, and can be beaten in 12 hours or less once you know exactly what you're doing. And so it, the idea of replaying a daunting JRPG multiple times is, like, lessened by that. Um, some of the new, like, D-Ratio cutscenes are cool. Some of the gear that you get in the D-Ratio locked doors is good. But also, like, you will have a complete experience if you just play this game once. It's, it encourages you to play multiple times, but it is not necessary to, like, yeah. get good shit out of this game. So for for the podcast, are we planning to do at least a second run? Um, throwing, I are we going to cover I, like a new game plus run or something as a as a bonus or something? 
Yeah, if I get far enough ahead in my in my planning playthrough because I've got two parallel playthroughs running at the same time, um, I will I'll, I'll let you know like halfway through the season if it's worth it or if it can just be like tacked on at the end of the conclusion episode. Um, yeah, because my my question my wonder is, do you get more story out of it? If I mean technically yes, because there are cutscenes, right? But like, does it recontextualize the game enough that you really? for something like this podcast that, you know, it makes sense to play it multiple times. I would. Yeah. I, yeah, I would, I would tell you that, uh, Matt, you and Chris should only replay if you're like having a blast and want to run through it again. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, for this podcast, don't worry about it. Okay. I'll handle it. If I, and that's on top of whether or not you have to restart for mechanical reasons. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, already in play. <laughs> so the one the one part that gets recontextualized hilariously and not on purpose mm-hmm. is that the dialogue early in the game where they're clowning on Ryu's pathetic D ratio and like, you know, Bosch is bullying him and shit. Uh, even if you have like a one quarter, uh, the dragon quarter ratio, the dialogue doesn't change. And they're like, uh, you pathetic little grunt. You're never going to go anywhere with your one quarter ratio. And it's like, shut the fuck up, Bosch. <laughs> uh, that's very funny. So yeah, the other big thing here is the screen overlay system. So because Dragon Quarter is much more difficult than the average JRPG, it expects you to die fairly often. As a concession, to compensate for this difficulty, there is a major system in the game called the Scenario Overlay, or SOL, uh, which, you know, could be a reference to the sun or a reference to the fact that you're shit out of luck. I don't know. Yep. So yeah, when you get a game over, you are given uh, three options. You can either just reload your last save, SOL Restore, or SOL Restart. Uh, SOL Restart or Sol. I'm just going to say Sol. Fuck it. Uh, Sol Restart will start you back at the beginning of the game at level one. But any gear you have equipped, any skills you have learned, and any items and weapons stored in a locker will carry over. In addition, when you uh, you can get these on the ground just as items, or uh, when you beat a battle, when you when you finish a battle, you both get immediate XP, and then also some party XP gets added to a collective pool, and that party XP carries over. So, upon Soul Restore. So you can use party XP to just like boost your level uh, or, you know, like when Nina pops up and she's lower level than Ryu, you can use it there. But mostly the game Excuse wants me, you to save it. Not lower it. level. Level one. Let's be really right, yes, clear. Level one. Nina is level one when she starts. But like, yeah, for the most part, the game wants you to save this party XP for the Saul restores and restarts. So we don't like your gear, like the gear thing means that you can never be in a situation where you restart and come out with less overall party XP than you had before, just because you're going to kill multiple enemies in a turn. So like, it's impossible to be in like a failure spiral just because you keep the gear. That's true. That's true. Yep. Unless you're not upgrading your gear. (laughs) Right. Even if you're not, he just gives it to you. Yeah, so like Soul Restore is similar, but uh, restarts you back at your last hard save instead of the very beginning of the game, and your level will be whatever it was at that save point. And uh, like in Soul Restart, any better equipped gear and skills will be carried forward. 
To emphasize that the game expects you to die, there are some new unique cutscenes that will play when you use the Saul system. These cutscenes can wait. be viewed. Mechanical question. I'm sorry. So, yeah. if I clear a very hard optional encounter and get new gear shortly after a save point, I can rewind, get my healing resources, but keep that piece of gear to my hard save? Y- yes. I. Um, the one part that I don't know for sure is if the other is if the non-equipped gear that's still on your person, like it's been identified, but it's not in your inventory, it's in your like gear slots. I don't know if that stuff carries over. It, I, it's, yeah, you would it's lose the unidentified just, stuff because it's, it's in your inventory. Just the equips. So um, you there are exploits. You can do that like XP loop where there's a hard encounter right after a save point and you just keep giving up and re and Saul restoring from there again and again. Like you 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 can yeah. do that. But what's but, the cost other than your time? Because I'm thinking like the D counter doesn't go up when you do this, right? Because otherwise the game would be impossible to, to win. Right. Yeah. No, your, your, your D counter resets to whatever your last hard save yeah. was. Yeah. So you're kind of failing forward no matter what, to some mm-hmm. degree, unless you are doing mm-hmm. so badly that you didn't gather any, any new gear or like you basically end up with fewer items on the restore. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a little bit more generous than I thought. I I didn't think I thought there would be like some other pretty hefty cost to the restore versus the restart. Yeah, no. There there is there is not. I think that they have the restart in there in case you get into an unwinnable situation with your D counter yeah. and need to be like, "Ah, fuck it. I need to reset yeah. and start all over again." Yeah, like 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 in Lightning Returns where there's the uh-huh. start from the beginning with your stats uh mm-hmm. because you can't beat Budavelza right now. Again, yeah, a lot of lightning returns DNA in here. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Or I guess lightning returns is a lot of Dragon Quarter DNA. So, uh, yes. Yeah. So the extra SOL cutscenes can be viewed by good players who don't die by beating the game and restarting it in New Game Plus. And you'll see some of those cutscenes in the New Game Plus there. And so you don't have to die to see the whole story, but you probably will at some point. Um, adding to this, mm-hmm. some as. SOL cutscenes are only unlocked if you have a high enough D ratio to view them. Uh, blessedly, all of the cutscenes in this game are skippable, which, because it's a PS2 game where that was not the norm, the game signals by just like putting a very visible fast forward button in the bottom right of the screen. Uh, mm-hmm. This was very rare in the PS2 era and seriously alleviates the pain of repetition that the Saul system might otherwise lead to. It is worth noting here that it is very, very possible to beat the game without using the Saul system. While it definitely requires more planning and rigor than the average JRPG, it is not net hack. The fact that encounters aren't randomized and don't respawn unless you restart to before you beat them means that once you get a handle on the tactics and overall rhythm of the game, you can start making pretty good progress. So it's not like a game, it's not like a prepare-to-die game once you kind of get a handle on how it works. Uh, There are still ways that it can turbo-fuck you, but it's not an absolute that you will die and restart. Mm -hmm. About six or seven hours in, an extremely light management sim called the Ant Colony becomes available. A fairy transports the party underground and asks them to assist in building out an ant colony at first, the only thing you could do is hire ant workers and assign them to excavation expeditions. After you leave the ant colony and return, if enough time has passed, is this real world time? 
Um, I don't know. I, that's uh, I, I, I. There is a time element to it, so you can't just like leave the ant colony and immediately come back to the ant colony and have everything be done. It it does take some time, but I don't know what I don't know how that time translates in game. I w- I'm wondering if it's like rooms cleared or story progress, or can I just press tab and go outside with smoke? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't uh, know. If enough time has passed, the ants will have made progress on their colony. As they dig into new areas, new jobs for the ants will become available. With enough space and enough research by the lab ants, they will start to open shops that sell skills and powerful equipment and create a bank to store excess zenny for replays. Hooray! There isn't a lot of strategy to the ant colony aside from paying attention to the stats of your workers and making sure you're assigning them to the job that they are like clearly got out for. Uh, you can teleport back to the ant colony whenever you want. The item to take you back there takes up an inventory slot, but is not consumable. So just check in regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to go back for a second to the restore. When you do a restore, do you keep your D counter or does it reset as well? I believe it, that. Would so reset. it. Yeah, the D counter resets. Yeah. And so if you restore, okay. it resets to whatever your D counter was at was, that hard yeah. save. Got it. Because, yeah, that way, yeah, if you're talking about that hard encounter, you just you just use your dragon powers, slay the dude, restore. <laughs> use your dragon powers, slay the dude, restore. Well, sadly, I saved after and not before Bosch. Otherwise, oh, I would immediately go brutal. and do this. Yeah. Well, I mean, who, who would have expected you don't really Bosch get all that there. much from that. I would expect there to be more town on the next screen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, I, to, to be honest, uh, I saved right beforehand and I did that because I'm like, well, I haven't saved since the last uh, last town. And then also I know there's a Bosch fight coming, uh, like a Bosch boss fight coming up. Maybe it happens right here. And then it did it. Yeah, it really it it does not signal that like, hey, by the way, this next screen is is uh, immediate cutscene in boss fight, though. Well, it's like that's yeah, fine. It's, it's not a real boss fight. Yeah, it's not. a. Yeah, yeah no. No, it's not. You you can't lose it, I don't think. Can you? Right. I mean, uh, uh, maybe if you hang out long enough, the D counter goes too high and you game over. But yeah, you maybe. Just don't because, attack. Because, maybe, yeah. Maybe because, Bosch Lion smashes you to minimum defense and then you take a one damage a turn until you die. Uh-huh. <laughs> God. God, what a good skill. I'm so sad when he left. Fucking Chowd all light all over again. I know, I know. Uh, so... Dragon Quarter takes place in a dystopian future where the surface has become unlivable and people have been forced underground. Uh, society is stratified with the underclasses forced to live and work in the deeper levels where the air is worse and the spaces are much more poorly maintained. I thought you said this was a fantasy game, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh-huh. So people have lived underground for so long that the surface in the sky are now myths. Uh, there's some really nice world building detail where there's like really shitty fake skies projected on like mm-hmm. the, the roofs of the caves. I like that. Yeah. My grandma's made up stories are so long as she tells them about the sky. Uh-huh. 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 Upward mobility isn't impossible, but it is severely limited by each person's D ratio, which we mentioned earlier. And it's basically used as a cast system. What the D ratio actually corresponds to is a spoiler, uh, so we are just going to leave it there for now. In order to supply the population with essential goods without any agriculture and with limited natural resources, a company called Biocorp, great name, love that mm-hmm. SEO, uh, begins like to manufacture Genix. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Genix. 
which are these living chimeras that Biocorp converts into laborers, food, and medicine. Nothing can go wrong with this. Mm-hmm. Basically, as the only source of vital goods, uh, Biocorp became extremely powerful and could operate their shady research with the protection of the government. Uh, some of these genics go rogue, uh, which means they break from their programming personality and purpose and start attacking uh, the settlements and the people working in the tunnels uh, just at random. Uh, to combat this, the government has set up a defense force called the Rangers. Rangers are tasked with guarding settlements and valuable cargo, as well as going on hunts for roaming rogue genics. Low D citizens can be rangers, but will often be stationed uh, lower in the complex, and high D rangers are often promoted to high government positions. This leads to a lot of uh, condescension and bullying within the rangers organization, which sounds a lot like uh, the rangers organizations in real life, mm. mostly in sports. Uh, so Trinity <laughs> is an anti-government organization that is labeled as a terrorist group and launches guerrilla attacks on the government and biocorp facilities. They believe the powers that be are up to some shady shit, which they are, and want to expose said shadiness to create a more egalitarian world underground. The cast list here is very small as the dev team wanted to focus on more realistic characters and their interactions with one another. Uh, I'm not sure how deep they're, how successful they are at deep characterization, but it's what they're trying for. One of these characters doesn't talk. Yeah. Through the first chunk of the game, so deep. there are really only four main characters. Ryu is a young ranger stationed in low sector with a comically low D ratio and a strong protective instinct. He's looked down on uh, by other rangers, but is beloved in his town for fighting off genic attacks. Bosch so so is, he is uh, uh, noble but good, is what you're telling me. <laughs> he's noble but good, but like with a with an angry streak. You know, he's got that mm, sense so of justice. Li- just a little dark sided, just a little bit. He's he's like the he's like the fucking he's kid in uh, he's <laughs> <laughs> Bosch is Ryu's working partner in the Rangers. He's got a much higher D ratio, and so he's got ambitions beyond low sector. He claims to be Ryu's good friend, but a lot of his dialogue sounds like that asshole Silver Spoon kid who has the one poor friend that he just like has so that he has someone to bully and talk down to for fun. And then the other two main characters are mysteries, kind of, at this point. Uh, Lynn is a, at the beginning of the game, Lynn is a young woman who wears a very ridiculous blue hood and uh, joined up with Trinity because she wants to expose Biocorp's crimes. And then Nina is a very mysterious, blonde, nonverbal girl with shriveled red wings. The story begins in earnest when Ryu encounters Nina and embarks on a quest up to the surface. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just imagining since Chris, you mentioned that we use a Twitter user that uh, uh, the dragon mode is an alt account. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just for trolling. We invented the uh, how much drag before we invented the dragon fucking knob. So <laughs> <laughs> L L plus D ratio plus reset your game. <laughs> Good. Um. So. This season is going to be a little bit different from the last few seasons we've had, which have been really story-focused. While there's definitely an exciting story and plenty of space to discuss like the themes that they were going for here, um, it's not as story-dense as the games that we've covered, basically since Lightning Returns. Uh, so there will be a bit more mechanics chat, stories of dying and restarting, and discussions of interesting non-boss encounters peppered in. 
the second episode, so the first episode of the content in particular, is going to be very dense as we're introducing a lot of the ways that these mechanics work. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be a really good podcast, and I hope that y'all agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any generalities, feelings that either of you have that we haven't covered, just like in the content of the episode? This game rips. I feel like the game in the first section so far has only showed so much of its hand, right? Like it, it just started to open up about an hour or so into it. And I'm definitely enjoying it so far. I was, I was very nervous in that first hour. If this was going to work out for me, especially uh, given my limited game time that I have to dedicate to this while also editing this podcast. Yeah, uh, this is so, this is not a this is not a baby having game. It it can be a small child having game, but yeah, no, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, uh, but so far, uh, I think it's it's started to get into a good groove. I think there's a lot of potential. I just wonder how much the story is going to be. Is it going to like hit me or is it going to be like, oh, well, this, you know, it exists. It's there and the setting is more interesting in theory. Yeah, I think it will be there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'll be there. Uh, but uh, I think we'll, we, we will definitely get into more of that. Wow, I wonder if Nina will have one half of a D ratio and that will be the plot. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's a it's a good start. It's just a little a lot of friction when you first start. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, it, I'm me. So I love that friction. And I'm, uh-huh, uh-huh, I, uh-huh. I think this game whips incredible amount of ass. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah. it's it's definitely it. It appeals to different parts of my like gamer Venn diagram than JRPGs normally hit and normally mm-hmm. appeal to. And that is yeah. very exciting to me right now. Um, but yeah, it's oh, yeah. not. This is not a like go find your favorite guys in a town and 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 you know talk about the like you know the interrogation of Nietzsche or whatever. It's uh it's more of a straight putt in that way and more of a fucking weird putt on the game side. Yeah, I just wonder if it's gonna hold up to that uh, new game plus. Like, is there gonna be enough there for me to go? Oh, I'm willing to do this, especially if I'm like very overpowered for most of the game. Because uh, sometimes that that lack of friction turns like the whole thing down, right? Like it just yeah. kind of makes it less interesting. I'm sorry, Matt. I know already the answer for you is no. Okay. And you know it too. You just want <laughs> you want to be the guy. I, I the want to replay Lightning yes, Returns. But the answer I, I want to no. do the sicko shit. And the and the thing is, if the answer is you get to do the same battles, they just the numbers are higher, then it's not that interesting. Like it, it needs to be more complex than that. Um Okay, well, we'll see. Well, well see. Lighty Returns has like a lot of new skills where you get to be the sicko and then the enemy yeah. numbers are higher to make it worth it. But speaking of Lightning Returns, this is like light sided Lightning Returns where you have like a really robust system and finally content like to scale to it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is not the case in Lightning Returns or Wolf Stride or literally any other game we have discussed on the podcast <laughs> with cool systems. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. Uh, that's all for this time. Uh, next time we will be talking about the beginning uh, of the game until the first time that uh, Ryu goes dragon mode. Uh, do we have any plugs that we want to plug? Zip ties are cool and expensive. You can use mm-hmm. them on people or cables. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, yeah, that, and that's all you will ever need them for. Um, In that order. 
Yes, yes, yes. You can check Is out my. True? You can attach. Look, look <laughs> you, got the, you got them kitchen metro racks or whatever. You can attach other racks to the rack with zip ties. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. You can read my um, Yuri Media reviews on Okazu at yurikon.okazu.com. By the time this comes out, I will have a new article. And so check that out. Uh, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be an interesting one. But I think that's all. Other than you want, you know, listening to yeah. uh, Boku No Stop, our anime podcasts for now. Mm-hmm. It's plural. Soon, uh, soon five dollars only. Soon five dollars only. Uh, but for now, we're still doing Iron Blooded Orphans season one on the free feed and the premium feed. We are wrapping up. Be the beginning, and then I believe after some bonuses, we're gonna go into uh, Terror in Residence. Mm. Oh, Terror in Residence. We'll do the bonuses show. at the end. They're basically only for in case IVO goes longer than be goes longer than Terror Residence. Word. Okay, okay. Uh, I do know that we we did talk about possibly doing like a book uh, book report version of uh, Be the Beginning season two. Yeah, as a bonus episode. Yes, yes, as a bonus episode. Yeah, but yeah, that's uh, that's it. Listen to the network. Terror Residence is good. I cannot wait. <laughs> Yeah. And subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, So we've got other shows. You know, we've got the premium Boku No Stop. Uh, We also have Icons and Icons, the Final Fantasy XIV podcast that Chris and I do. Uh, That's for a buck a month. Boku No Stop Premium is is five bucks a month. But both of those are great shows. Uh, Check out the other stuff on our network. Give us some money, please. Uh, Hilariously, because we literally never say this, you can actually give us the money at pitchdrop.cash. Pitchdrop.cash. Yep, yep. pitch drop. Oh yeah, and I and I didn't even mention Radio Manga, our semi regular uh, new show where Sybil and I talk about uh, manga we've been reading. Oh hell yeah! It happens whenever yeah. Chris says, "I don't want to record a podcast that I buy." <laughs> it happens whenever <laughs> I find I find time to like do an, an extra podcast on top of this one in terms of editing, or I give it to Sybil and she does it instead. Uh, <laughs> um, accidentally doing the radio announcer drop on pitchdrop.cash made me remember Piss World, and then that made me go, Damn, son, where'd you find Piss? Uh, and so that's where we're leaving that. Oh, yeah. It's in the balls. Goodbye. Uh huh. Peace.